and, and I'm not really sure where I picked it up, but it goes kind of like this. A college freshman went to a dorm laundry room with his dirty clothes bundled into an old sweatshirt. Embarrassed because of how dirty it was, you know, he did not open the bundle, but just pushed the clump of clothing in the washing machine. Turned it on, washed it. When the machine stopped, he pushed it out, took the whole bundle and put it in the dryer. He took the still unopened bundle of clothes to his room, only to discover when he was back in his room that they were not clean. What's the moral of the story? Well, God says, don't keep your sins in a safe little bundle. Bring them out in the open um, so that he can cleanse or cleanse them or clean them uh, when you have confessed them. Confession is our sins uh, to God is essential. We should not hide from God like we really could, right? Um, what is confession? Confession is basically saying the same thing that God is saying. Confession is agreeing with God about things that we have done wrong. It also involves repentance, a, a turning away from sin that we have confessed and no, no longer embrace them. Psalm 51 is a very graphic picture of a confession made by David, who is called in Scripture a man of God's own heart. I want us to think about that, a man of God's own heart. Because you would think that if someone is so favored by God, you know, he would not fall in sin. Um, but I think it's it, not that we want to justify sin, but it should also be serving as, as an encouragement to us because we all are still sinning. Um, psalm, th this particular psalm is one of seven psalms that is a penitent psalm. The other ones that are talking about repentance is Psalm 32, 38, 102, 130, and 143. Not all of them were penned down by David, but this particular psalm right here, Psalm 51, and also Psalm 32 were penned down by David in correspondence to his sin that he had committed against God, Bathsheba, Uriah. Um, the story is actually found in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. And if you want to turn there, we're just going to kind of highlight a few things out of uh, those scripture verses right there to get an idea of <coughs> what was the background to this psalm. David is the king of Israel. And it says right there that um, in the spring of the year, when the time when kings go out to battle, David decided not to go, but to remain back home. Um, the Israelites were fighting against the Amorites and besieged Reba. But David remained in Jerusalem. Um, he was just kind of like just kicking back, laying back. And uh, as he was uh, looking out of his window, um, he saw a beautiful woman uh, bathing on a roof, which was Bathsheba. He inquired about her, and as a king, I guess as a king you can do whatever you want to do, um, he invited her over, and um, that didn't go too well. 
the scripture says that he had relation with Bathsheba. Now, Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Um, long story short, Bathsheba became pregnant. And this is something that David wanted to hide. He wanted to cover it up. He wanted to cover up this sin. And it, it, again, David was a man of God's own heart, right? But look at the craftiness of how he was trying to hide his wrongdoings. So he invited you, uh, he, he commanded that uh, Uriah would return, invited him to his house, and he wanted to encourage him to actually go back to his wife and, you know, have relation with her. And in that way, he could actually make a point that, Uriah, uh, uh, that Bathsheba was not impregnated by David, but a case could be maybe made that it was Uriah. But Uriah would not have that. He was saying that the ark of Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. What a noble thing, right? He would not enjoy life while his fellow soldiers were still in the field. Well, that plan kind of backfired on David, right? Well, he didn't give up right away, you know. So, again, he invited him over and actually, you know, they drank and he became intoxicated, hoping that now he would go home and be with his wife. But Uriah, again, would not do this. Well, that it that really kind of uh, infuriated David, and, and he needed to come up with a backup plan. So the backup plan was even more cruel and crafty, because what he did is he sent Uriah back to the field and gave orders to the commanders to put him basically up in the front line where he for sure would be killed. The man of God's own heart. So Uriah indeed went to the front line and was killed. And so the messenger came to, um, back to David and brought word that, look, there, there was a defeat, but your servant Uriah was killed also. Now listen to what David says. Um, David said to the messenger, uh, do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. Mission accomplished. Uriah got killed. So not only did um, David lust and committed adultery, but he also ordered the killing of Uriah purposely, sent him on the front line, just so that he could continue to hide his sins. Well, um, Scripture says in the, in the 26th uh, verse, 27th verse, at the very end, it says, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. God will not tolerate sin. How can someone that is a man of God's own heart 
commit such sins. But if we ask ourselves, if we look at ourselves, we have to admit that each one of us, we, we still continue to sin, right? Even though we have been saved by God and we have now become in favor with God, how can we still go on and sin? You know, one of the scripture verses that, that really I, I, I sometimes actually hate to use, but it is such a reality is in Romans chapter 7, where we hear Paul talking this. He says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. He, he, he stated right there a principle that even though the true new creature that he is in Christ, he is still having the battle with the flesh. And sin dwells within his flesh. And that describes each one of us. All of us are still sin, uh, sinning. We are battling. There are things that we don't want to do, and we cannot even understand why we're doing them. We know they don't make sense. We know they go against God's word, but we are doing them. And the principle that Paul lays out right there is that sin still lies close at hand. And he said, in my inner being, I serve the Lord, but with my flesh, sin. And then he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And is that not something that we all as Christians wait eagerly for? Our complete redemption? You know, we, we have a saying that says, the already but not yet, right? And, you know, even in the 8th chapter of Romans, you know, he's talking about how there's a groaning going on because of all that evil that is still present. The world groans, we as brothers and sisters are groaning, and we are eagerly awaiting, you know, and hoping that Christ will return soon so that we can be finally, ultimately delivered from sin. Hebrews 12 says this. Now again, this is because David was a man of God's own heart. But Hebrews 12 says this. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate <laughs> children, sorry, and not sons. Because we are children of God, God will discipline us. He wants to cleanse us. He wants to not just get away with sin. We can try to hide, but we cannot hide from God. Adam and Eve, there was the same story, right? When they disobeyed God, what did they do? They tried to cover themselves, made coverings for themselves, and hid from God. And yet it was God who sought them out. It was not Adam and Eve trying to return to God, but it was God finding them out and then providing for them the appropriate covering, the, the, the blood sacrifice, 
Scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And here as well, what happened is that when um, David had sinned, he did not return to God. Matter of fact, when you read that um, through this uh, 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 adulterous affair that he had, a child was born. Now, usually labor is, what, nine months, right? So for at least nine months, if not longer, David tried to cover up this sin. Nine months, at least. And yet it was God who sought him out. And how did he do it? By sending Nathan. So in um, the 12th chapter of Second Samuel, we read the account how Nathan approached him. And he didn't quite come right away straight out and say, hey, look, you have sinned. But he gave him a story, an illustration. He was telling him that um, a similar story where wrong was done, knowing that most likely David will understand it and he will respond to it. And sure enough, David was outraged about the story and what had happened there. Um, the story goes that, um, that uh, uh, someone who had very little was wronged by somebody that had a lot, right? And David was just outraged and said he needs to be judged. And what did Nathan say at that point? It is you. And David right away realized that Nathan was confronting him for his own sin. So scripture says that a contrite heart, God will, a broken and contrite heart, God will not reject. So how did David respond? Did he try to make excuses when he was confronted by David? And this is what Psalm 51 is all about, is his response when Nathan had confronted him. He did not cover it up anymore. He did not deny it. He did not come up with any further excuses. But he said, yes, I am guilty. And because um, he humbled himself, God showed him actually that he should not surely die, even though this was definitely uh, worthy of, of a judgment of death. But he was spared. God had showed him mercy. And this is what this psalm is all about. You know, he is crying out to God, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Don't have mercy because I'm worthy. Don't show me mercy because, you know, I'm so good or better than the next person. No, but because of your, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. And he pleads, blot out my transgression. He's not even saying, look, I'm going to try better. I'm going to cleanse myself. He is pleading with God, blot out my salvation, my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from all my sins. We all stand in need of that cleansing, right? We all have sinned. First John says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to forgive us, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
We stand in need of that because we cannot cleanse ourselves. Just like Paul was saying in Romans 7 that, look, the things that I don't want to do, I, I over and over again do them. We stand in need of God cleansing us. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then he recognizes that, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. If we are honest about it, you know, to ourselves and to God, we would confess our sins. First John actually says, if we say we have not sinned, we, have, we, we are lying. We have made God a liar. All of us, we are still sinning and guilty. Even though, as a believer, we have positionally come in right standing with God. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Technically, he has sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, right? But ultimately, he had sinned against God. Because it's God who gives these commands that says you shall not commit adultery, right? You shall not kill. So David rightly acknowledged that he has sinned against God. All of our sins regardless of what they are, are actually a transgression against the commandments that God has given or the word that God has given. And we need to confess them to him. We need to acknowledge them. And we need to have a, a, a humble spirit, not you know, like shaking our fist at God and say, oh, you know, it's not really my fault. You made me the way you made me. And, and no, but he says, you know, he recognizes that he had sinned against God. He's taken personal responsibility now. And then he says, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. I love what David was just singing, right? Even though he may ruin me, right? He has the right because we have sinned against him. He cannot be blamed. He cannot be accused of anything wrong when he disciplines us. Matter of fact, we were reading in Hebrew that he does that because we are his children. And just like our earthly fathers have disciplined us because they loved us and cared for us and did not want us to, you know, to continue on the wrong path, you know, so God also would discipline us. And then he recognizes that he was actually brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not saying that his mother was sinning, and so now he was there. No, what he is actually saying is, look, I was born a sinner. We don't become sinners because we sin. No, we sin because we are sinners. And David rightly recognizes that. And then he says this, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Kind of parallel to what Paul was saying, right? In my inner being, I want to do the right thing. The new him, the one that is newly created in Christ, wants to do the right thing. And he delights in that truth. God delights in that truth. We're no longer just hiding it. We're no longer just trying to cover it up on our own. But we're openly confessing it. 
And then he says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Turn with me real quick to Psalm 32. I want to point something out right there. It's a parallel account where he is also um, confessing his sins. It says right there in verse 2, Blessed is, oh, verse 1, Blessed is uh, the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Listen to this now. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of the summer. Have you ever experienced that? When, when you don't right away confess your sins, the heaviness that you feel, the joy is gone, um, things are not going the way they ought to go. It, it, it's the Lord. He's putting his hand on you. He's laying it heavy on you because he does not want you to continue in that. Whom he loves, he will reprove, Right? Um, scripture says that he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. If we continue in our own ways, he will just resist us, and the effects will be um, experienced. It will have an effect on our health. It will have an effect on our mental state, on our body bodily state. Um, I think it was Jay Adams who was saying that um, a lot of the people that he had actually visited in mental institutions, spending time with them, it boiled back to that there were unconfessed sins in their life that had affected their lives. You know, And what does the world do? Well, we medicate it, right? Just give them medication and you know, we're going to suppress all these feelings. When indeed, a lot of times, confessing our sins might be the, the, the process to bring healing. Yeah. Let me hear joy and gladness back in Psalm 51. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You know what's interesting? What is missing in, 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 in everything that he is saying right here? It's the first pronoun. Right? He's not saying, I will. I will cleanse myself. I will not do this no more. I will you know, correct what I have done. But he's actually pleading with God. God, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me. God, you wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide your face from me and blot out all my iniquities. You, God, create in me a clean heart. 
Those are things that we on our own cannot even do. It's kind of like what Adam and Eve tried to do when they were hiding from God. They, 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 they took fig leaves and tried to cover themselves, when yet that was not the proper response. And it was God who provided the proper covering by giving the blood sacrifice. And just to humble ourselves and to be open when we have sinned. And you have to be humble, right? Because left to ourselves, we're we just going to deny it, just like what Paul, did, I mean, what David did for these nine months, right? Did not want to deal with it, was afraid, was ashamed. And the only way that he knew how to deal with it was by the things that, that he attempted. Play it off, you know, uh, make it look like that it was Uriah that impregnated his wife. And when that didn't work, just kill Uriah, and then he could marry Bathsheba. But the proper response is, and this is what he has learned, and this is actually what displays that he had a broken and contrite heart. All this psalm is about that. It's a completely turnaround from how he first responded to his sins. <coughs> Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me, realizing that God would have every right to do so, but also knowing that he is a gracious and merciful God that would not do that. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You know, how many times are we trying to do what is right and yet fail to ask God to give us a willing spirit? I like what Augustine was saying, right? He was like, command what you want, but also grant me to actually do those things. And I'm kind of using my own words. But we have to realize that, that on our own, we are not strong enough to do those things. We are to always pray. We are to always be standing in need of his power, his grace, his spirit to guide us through these things. Not on our own. And then this should be the response, right? After experiencing the forgiveness of God, the response should be that, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Whether the world realizes it or not, they are standing in need of forgiveness, right? And how can we better witness to them by when we have experienced the grace and mercy and love of God? And we can now share that to the world. We can share that to our neighbor, to our families, to our friends. We can identify because, well, we are not any better than there. It's just by the grace of God that we have been forgiven we already admitted that we are still struggling with sin in our lives, right? So we should not go to them and approach, hey, I'm better than you, but you, know, you really need to come to Christ. No, I understand what you are going through, the hurt that you're going through, the suffering that you're going through. 
You just need to realize that it is because of sin, because you have sinned against God. And then we need to pray, bring it to God in prayer, because it is not by my power that anybody will come to Christ, but God has to draw them. So we need to pray for those that we want to witness to. Or we need to pray for opportunities that God would open doors so that we can share what we have personally experienced as well. Namely, the forgiveness of God, the love of God. And then he says right here, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud and, uh, of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. That's worship, right? Because we realize what God has done or not done, it should lead us to thanksgiving, praise, and worship. And not just in church, but wherever you are. You can, you can sing out loud to him. You can thank him. Um, there was a time when people thought that, oh, you know, I, I, well, I, I think in the Catholic Church they still do it where they, they go to the priest and, you know, you know uh, ask the priest that, you know, he would intervene for them and, and ask for forgiveness. No, we can do that ourselves. We can go before the throne of God and, and, and praise him, confessing our sins and thanking him and worshiping him right there. And, and that is actually evidence that you have been renewed, that you realize what God has done, and it brings forth thanksgiving. And then he says, For you will not delight in sacrifices, or I would give them. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. And again, it's not so much that he wants these things from us. But what he really longs for is that we humble ourselves and recognize that we have fallen short. That we don't hide it, that we not try to cover it up on our own, but that we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, who has actually paid the penalty for all the sins of every believer. He paid the price. When he said on the cross, it is finished, that's what it was. He, 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 he finished, he achieved everything that was necessary so that God cannot be uh, uh, accused of just overlooking sins, but actually dealing with sins and offering us salvation and forgiveness. And so he says, the sacrifice of God that he desires is a broken spirit. Are we broken when we sin against God? Are we searching ourselves and asking ourselves the question, am I in right standing with God? And are we crushed by that when we have disobeyed him? That takes you know, that we know what the word actually says, right? How can we know what is right and what is wrong, what God wants from us, and, you know, if we have violated uh, what he wants? We need to spend time in his word. We need to spend time on the good, solid teaching and preaching so that we can know, that we can grow, that we can be renewed in our, in, in our hearts, in our minds. 
Romans 12 says that. Be renewed in your mind. And the more time you spend in the word, the more it will reveal to you how much you really have falling short. I remember when, when I first was introduced to Christ, I was like, oh, yeah, one, two, three sins, you know, if I've done that, then I'm okay with God. And man, the more time I spent in the Word, this was a sin. I had no idea. I violated your law right there. I had no idea. It was crushing. And I think it was by the grace of God that he didn't just bombard me with with everything at the same time. But the more time we spend in the word of God, the more he will reveal to us how much we are falling short of his glory and how much we are in need of a savior. You know, when we witness to people, there are some people that maybe say, you know what, you're kind of arrogant that you say that your religion is the only way to get right with God. But I think if we really explain to them why Jesus is the only way to return to the Father, because the standards are so hard and we cannot meet them, right? Two ways to get right with God. Either you accept what he has provided or you live 100%, 100% of the time right. And if you're honest with yourself, you failed that, right? The standards are so high that none of us can meet those requirements. And so, yes, Jesus Christ is the only way to come to the Father because only he, when he became man, God, man, the God and God, man, he walked on this earth for some 30 years. And scripture says that he always did the will of the Father. Can you say that? Can you say that maybe just for one day? You know, today, I always did the will of the Father. And if you did, good, but you know what? You're still falling short. Christ lived for 30 years. You know, the question was, you know, why did Jesus Christ have to stay on earth for these 30 years? Why did he not just come and then over the weekend was hung on the cross and, you know, uh, atoned for the, the sins of the world? Well, he had to do that because the exchange that has taken place is that when Jesus took our sins upon him and paid the penalty on the cross, in turn, we would receive his righteousness so that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ and that gives us the abilities to stand before God. There is no other way to come in the presence of God. It had to be this way. And so I guess... The encouragement that I want to point out is this. How is your walk with God right now? Are there any sins that you have not confessed? Are there any sins that you need to work on and turn from? Are you trying to cover up any sins? Are you trying in your own way to kind of uh, go on? Well, Let us take an example of David, who stopped and when confronted with his sin, did not deny it no more, confessed it, 
and God forgave him and it brought actually healing. And maybe you are not even a Christian yet. Well, the wages of sin is death. Christ died for the sins of all those that would receive the good news. The good news that salvation has been made available because of what Christ has done. When Christ was in the, in the garden, he didn't sweat blood because he was afraid of the physical agony he would suffer on the cross. What he was sweating and what he was dreading was that he had to experience the wrath of God that was poured upon him right there on the cross. It is seen when it became dark for three hours that the wrath of God was actually poured on Christ. That's what he dreaded. Listen, there were thousands of people that were crucified back then. Yeah, there were some that really were scared of it, but then there were also others, like that one thief on the cross next to Christ, that was actually you know, still harassing him there and ridiculing him, right? So that's not what Christ was dreading. He dreaded that he would have to suffer the wrath of God. He took the punishment that otherwise, if you don't accept this gospel, you will have to pay for eternity. That's what Christ did on the cross. What will take an eternity for us to be punished for, Christ did on the cross. When he said, it is finished, he appeased the wrath of God. And redemption has been made available. Reconciliation has been made available. Forgiveness has been made available for you to be able to stand in the presence of an all-holy and just God has been made available. How will you respond to it? Will you kind of say, well, I'm going to think about it and maybe later I'll come? No, you don't know how long you will live. Every day, I don't know how many thousands of people die. We do not have tomorrow promised. Today is the day of salvation, Scripture says. Repent and turn to Christ. Father, we thank you that...